the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 93rd episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website. Then you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. And I want to thank you to all my listeners throughout the world. I truly do appreciate you. Thank you for listening and for all your messages. I really appreciate them. And I sincerely hope that you are all doing well and staying healthy. My November Privacy Professor Tips message was published on October 29th. Please sign up for them. I've provided them for free since 2005 in an effort to increase general awareness of data and cybersecurity and privacy issues, and also to provide a free awareness publication for organizations to send to their employees. You can sign up for them by going to privacyguidance.com and submitting your email in the box in the upper right part of your screen. And guess what? We are now providing free ebooks, flipbooks, and awareness videos through our privacysecuritybrainiacs.com site. You can get them from there and sign up for notifications about those from privacysecuritybrainiacs.com. And I'm really excited to announce that after we published our first paperback book titled Cybersecurity for Grandparents, Q3 2021 edition, credit reports, device updates, and social media, we had a really a large number of people saying, hey, make some more of those. We found those very helpful. So um, we also found that many indicated that the books were very informative for everyone, not just grandparents. So in November, we are going to publish our second paperback book in large print font titled Cybersecurity for Grandparents and Everyone Else, Q4 2021 edition, IoT Security and Privacy and it will be available from Amazon. We will have our volumes four, five, and six free flipbooks information within them, but we will also have so much more. We're going to have many more tips, checklists, examples, a glossary, and a lot more information. We created it to help all of those with IoT devices. If you have smart homes and smart cars and smart everything else. And for those who will be giving 
and receiving smart devices and smart products over the holiday season. Go to Amazon, do a search for Rebecca Harold, and you will see our first book that we published uh, listed along with uh, many of my other books that I've written. Think about giving that book to the same people you're giving smart gifts to and to make sure that they use them in the most secure ways possible. So, talking about security, let's switch over to a different topic. Today, we are going to speak about two specific areas of a country's critical infrastructure, the aviation sector and the energy sector. You know, the entire population of the U.S. depends on these sectors for basic living activities, And so do other populations throughout the globe, all throughout other countries. Now, earlier this year, the U.S. Transportation Security Administration, or TSA for short, they issued two security directives aimed at the aviation and airports sector and also at the energy sector. They did this in the months after a ransomware attack shut down one of the U.S.'s most widely used pipelines, and it led to gasoline shortages and very long lines at the pumps. Uh, For the airline industry, the TSA announced that they are going to require critical U.S. airport operators and uh, passenger aircraft operators and all cargo aircraft operators to designate cybersecurity coordinators and report cyber incidents to the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, known as CISA for short, by the end of October. Wonder how many of them uh, got their plans in place. There are also lower level transportation organizations encouraged to follow the rules as well. The rules were issued just days after they issued emergency regulations uh, for cybersecurity for pipeline operators this summer. This was after, again, the attack on the Colonial Pipeline. On October 6th of this year, 2021, the U.S. Department of Energy, or DOE, and the National Renewable Energy Lab, the NREL for short, they announced the launch of the Clean Energy Cybersecurity Accelerator. It's a technology partnership of federal experts industry partners in the energy sector and innovators to accelerate the development of new cybersecurity solutions for the evolving U.S. energy grid. And the program's going to support efforts to modernize the grid to address cybersecurity vulnerabilities and also to withstand uh, cybersecurity threats created through the evolution of the grid as it starts using new sources and new types of energy. So work is being done. Time will tell how successful it will be. But I wanna talk about these two different industries, um, air travel and energy. And I'm so happy to have on my show today, a highly experienced practitioner and industry leader and expert in these areas, Cecil Pineda. 
Cecil Pineda is an IT security, cybersecurity, and data privacy expert with over 21 years of deep experience in many different types of leadership roles. Cecil has been a CISO for three businesses, a virtual CISO many times for a very wide range of organizations, along with being an IT auditor, data privacy analyst, vulnerability manager, and application security manager. Cecil is currently the CISO and senior vice president at R1 and co-founder of CISO XC. Cecil also served as the CISO of Dallas-Fort Worth, or DFW for short, International Airport, and also held leadership positions at many other organizations, including Boeing and TXU Energy. Dr. Pineda is Mr. Pineda. I'm I'm giving him, um, maybe he is a doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I'll find out yeah. soon. Is an active member of the DFW CISO community and various cybersecurity professional organizations. See much more about Cecil in his bio posted on my radio website. And I also included in that bio a link to his LinkedIn profile. Cecil, thank you so much for taking time out of what I know is your very, very busy schedule to be my guest today. Welcome to my show. Oh, uh, Rebecca. Rebecca. Um, 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 This is one of the, one of probably 30, 40 things in my bucket list. I've followed you since the early 2000 now it's 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 showing our age now but i've been a big fan of your program and all your work thank you for having me uh in your program well thank you so much i really appreciate that and uh you know i'm 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 so uh looking forward to hearing about your experiences because you were the head of enterprise security for both IT and physical and IT compliance and data privacy at Boeing for close to six years, which just sounds so interesting. And then you went on to TXU Energy and you were also at GameStop and then also the CISO at the Dallas-Fort Worth Airport, which I've traveled through many, many times throughout my career. You have such a wide range of experiences in, you know, many inter- industries, but I want to focus today on aviation and air travel industry and energy. And I'll start with air travel. Air travel, okay. yeah, it's it's so complex. I mean, and what I find fascinating about your career is that not only have you worked in Uh, an organization building the aircraft, which has so many security uh, requirements that need to be addressed, but also then within the airport where you have all these different types of technology. So how is being head of enterprise security compliance and privacy um, at Boeing different from being a CISO at an airport? Oh, it's a very good question, uh, um, Rebecca. And um, the, both organizations are very different. So let me clarify first my my role at Boeing. Boeing is a very big organization, very large, and I'm I was the head of security for a 
division within Boeing, and we are in charge of uh, all the aftermarket parts repairs for a lot of the aircrafts that you see around. So when there's an, we call it uh, AOG, air, aircraft on the ground, that means uh, they need parts or services. So I was the head of uh, information security and physical security, including data privacy and compliance for that division. Um, now, uh, based from your questions, uh, both organizations are different. Mm -hmm. uh, Boeing is very focus on structured program they are they want to they they all they want all their uh, subsidiaries divisions all parts of the organizations following a framework uh, at that time when i was there our mandate was to follow iso 27001 mm. and um, yes and um, i was very fortunate to be one of those first uh, Boeing organizations that were able to get uh, uh, the certification. Oh wow! A lot of, yeah, a, a lot of the things that we do we do at Boeing are always um, are always um, we follow a certain checklist and standards. We are always uh, audited by mothership. I call it the mothership, uh, the mother Boeing. They would always send auditors maybe twice a year, maybe sometimes more than twice a year. They would audit us for every parts of the organization, from our SAP to our physical security to compliance, uh, and of course, they want to make sure that we always make sure they, they we always uh, meet the requirements for ISO 27001. And part of that was uh, data privacy at that time when I was there, um, where I read a lot of your past work that helped me build the first data privacy program handbook for that organization. Uh, now, for the airport, um, unfortunately, um, a lot of the airports uh, around North America are, they're not as mature or sophisticated as most private organizations. A lot of the programs at the airport are, at that time when I became the CISO at, at Dallas-Fort Worth, I was the first CISO. And remember, this is, uh, this is like 2016. And to be the first CISO for, of an organization, a critical infrastructure organization, that's pretty behind on most verticals. Yes, yes. But remember, a lot of the uh, a lot of the airports are are governed by cities, counties, states, and they have to share budget with with all these organizations and mm. they actually submitted the proposal two years before they hired me. Hey, in 2014, we need to hire a CISO. So remember, it took two years to get that approved. And that, unfortunately, every airport in the United States, they are a little bit behind the, the, on the curve because of the procurement process, the hiring process, the budget process, it's not as easy. And, and to think of it, you know, critical infrastructure like airports, they that those are, should be a priority of our governments. Mm -hmm. yeah. Oh yes. Well, when I travel, of course, I used to. Well, I you know I haven't traveled for two years now through the airports, but I used to carry a little notebook um, with me, and I would write down what I would see, just because it would make good examples and. 
Um, one of the things I started seeing so many of were those charging ports, uh, USB charging ports. And that kind of worried me seeing so many of them because people would be lined up. You, you probably saw this too. People would be lined up to um, charge their phones. And I'm not talking about, you know, at DFW in, in particular, I'm talking about just in general. I mean, going overseas and uh, in other airports outside of the U.S. too, all these USB charging ports. And I used to think, wow, I wonder if, if they, you know, check for skimmers in those USB chargers, because if I was somebody malicious, that's where I would, you know, put something to uh, get into people's devices who are traveling and take all of their data and things like that. But, um, you know, sometimes I think, well, you know, it's hard to manage security for such a complex open area like a, an airport because you have so many different parts of the public inside. You have, you know, all these vendors going through there. I mean... What were some things, uh, you know, that you saw at the airport or, or you, you got a 27,001 certification? I'm really impressed because that's something. And that was at, that, at Boeing, correct? Yes, that's at Boeing. Boeing. So I was going to say that would be so much harder, wouldn't it, within an airport just because of uh, maybe the openness of it? Or what are your... What are your thoughts about anything that I've been talking about as far as some of my examples go? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm smiling while you were asking the question because <laughs> probably, uh, um, and you're right, uh, the complexity, the openness. Mm -hmm. um, and most airports, um, especially DFW, the size of Manhattan, that airport is mm. actually a city. That airport has its own zip code. It has its own police, uh, fire, uh, and most airports around the U.S. are like this. They're very open, very complex, a lot of technology around. Um, there's a lot of IP cameras, a lot of doors with IP addresses. Uh, there's a lot of network ports. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of technology. So, you know, your first, one of your questions was, it's going to be hard to go through, you know, my dream when I was there is to go through ISO 27001. But on the first five minutes of my job, I knew it's going to be very difficult to achieve that. Mm -hmm. However, you know, and, and since I was the first CISO, I had to I had to build those foundation. And uh, just walking around the airport, I can tell you, you're, you're going to start. Thinking about, I need to think. I need to address those. I need to address those network open ports. I need to do address those Wi-Fi uh, printers with mm -hmm. the Wi-Fi turned on. And just imagine a quick example would be, what if you connect to a printer, uh, Wi-Fi based printer, and print something that could alarm people? You know, mm -hmm. in the airport. I, yes. there, there, your imagination, if you walk into an airport, especially if you're a pen tester, there's, there's two or three dozen avenues that you can get into the network. Mm -hmm. And that's the challenge. There's so much, there's so much to secure inside an airport. And then you have the difficulty in getting budget to get people, tools, 
even for process improvements, you know, people think about process improvements. Oh, you don't have to buy it. But, you know, people have to follow process. So you have to hire people. And unfortunately, in most airports around the U.S., you can't pay uh, the skills today. Uh, it's so hard. Uh, the salary ranges, the, the, the gr salary grades in the airport, they're probably 20 25% below the industry average. Really? So that's so surprising, Cecil. And and because, you know, look at all of what they put in for for physical security, right? They're paying for facial recognition when you go through the security gate and and doing all this other type of stuff. You would think um, that airports would understand that cybersecurity is so um, impactful on physical security if they don't address it correctly. Well, well, um, and this is where you'll be amazed. Um, a lot of people working on in the airports. Uh, I've probably met maybe security folks at seven airports now, maybe eight airports now since I started working there. Mm -hmm. And you'll be amazed about the uh, the effort that with limited people, limited budget, limited tools, a lot of the airports here were able to come up with, you know, um, really great innovations in, in mm -hmm. spite of in spite of the shoestring budget um, segmentation, which is really basic. They've addressed many of the basic security controls. Uh, anything that can be addressed with, you know, with their limited funding, they've addressed that. But I want to share this to you, Rebecca. I think you're going to be surprised. Um, mm -hmm. uh, can I tell you? Can I tell you first my first few weeks at the job? I think this will help you. I think uh, where you're leading me, uh, it will give you a more, you know, a uh, uh, color to, you know, to our discussions today. Okay. Um, so. 2016, coming from GameStop, very excited to be the CIS of the airport. And I, I've been doing security all my life. And uh, I'm very versed with data privacy, of course, with, with your help. And I was ready there. When I opened, you know, when I stepped into that door, I was very excited. And I'm ready to do my job. And mm -hmm. I realized there's a lot of, there's a lot of, Limitations. I am confronted with a lot of challenges, awareness, budget, so many other things, culture for one of them. You know, mm -hmm. government government is not exactly, you know, where compared to private organizations, everyone is, uh, you know, um, what do you call this? Uh, everyone is like, there's a sense of urgency in many private organizations. I oh, can say sure. that. I could use it. Yeah. So, but mm -hmm. anyway, um, started uh, as a CISO for an airport and I, I know security so much, but I don't know anything about airports. You know, mm -hmm. I've traveled through airports and there's no book. I, I googled airport cybersecurity framework. There's nothing. I googled for any, everything. I, I couldn't find anything. And I said, you know, what, I, what I've what i learned from my previous job should be able to help me. But I wasn't, I wasn't, I don't want to rely on what I know. I, there's a lot of things I don't know. You know what I did? I started calling the CISOs for different airports. Ah, this is like, yeah, this is like two weeks before I start my job. I started connecting with them on LinkedIn. And 
I was surprised. This is in 2016 or late 2015. I googled C- airport CISO, and there were only like four. Really? I, uh, there were only four. I uh, am uh, flabbergasted <laughs> because yeah. it's just crazy. That's not that long yeah. ago. Yeah, yeah, that is like five years ago, and. I can tell you, I, I contacted um, um, uh, San Francisco, um, LAX, mm. uh, Denver Denver Airport, and there's another airport, uh, I forgot, it. it's one of the small regional airports. And what's interesting, uh, all of them responded to me, and I said, I need help. I'm going to be the CIS of uh, one of the largest airports in the world. And I, I, I am, I'm ready to handle uh, cybersecurity, but... I don't know the airport side of that. So all of them responded. Uh, LAX, uh, his name is Anson Fong. He's still there. He's the greatest, one of my greatest friends. He helped me to do my job. And then the CISO of Denver Airport, his name is Tim Kogan. I can mm-hmm. tell you, when, when I contacted these guys, they didn't even you know, hesitate. They gave me. Uh, everything that I need to learn, everything that I need to know about airports. And by the time I started my job, I knew. And uh, But what I'm trying to say is you could see uh, there were, it was a very small number of large airports with CISO. So that actually got me worried because mm-hmm. airports are part of our critical infrastructure and not many airports have designated CISOs. Some of their CISOs of some airports are the network manager, the IT manager, maybe the the IT director, but it's very seldom you could see. Uh, today, I probably would guess there's probably about 15 CISO, CISOs for airports, but uh, that's, still a, that's still a small number. That's a small number. We, we have a break coming up right now, but when we come back, I want to delve into that a little more deeply because I think um, it's a very important, very important topic for us to talk about. So right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors, but I'm speaking today with cybersecurity and privacy expert and highly experienced business leader Cecil Pineda about cybersecurity in the aviation sector, and we might get into the energy sector, but I want to keep focusing on aviation as long as you know we can because it's, it's a, a huge area. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, the Privacy Professor. You can contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as show topic suggestions using my email, RebeccaHerald at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my uh, PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com website. Please stay with us. We will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit privacysecuritybrainiacs.com. 
The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on the Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold, and I'm speaking today with cybersecurity and privacy expert and highly experienced business leader, Cecil Pineda, about cybersecurity uh, in the aviation sector. We might get to the energy sector, but I, you know, Cecil was talking about such interesting information regarding kind of the history of how uh, cybersecurity has been addressed really for such a short period of time so far within airports. So, Cecil, you know, as we were going to break, I was thinking to myself, I think you mentioned there were only uh, a few airports where you found CISOs. How many airports are there just in the United States? I mean, is that a number that you know or do you have a rough estimate? Uh, no, I don't have it, but, uh, you know, I would like, say there should be at least uh, at least uh, three dozen international airports. International. Uh. Yeah, there's at least thirty plus international airports, and um, and just imagine this is 2016 when I started knocking on the doors of these airports. Say, yeah, I need some help. I need to know airport cybersecurity. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it is very interesting. I I also fa- found it um, concerning because. That's only five years ago when every yeah. organization, even small ones, have already have designated uh, cybersecurity leaders in their organizations. Oh, absolutely. And the way you described it, it was interesting because when I got into doing uh, security at a large financial company, and this was in the early 90s, that was the way you described it was kind of like them because they would give it to the folks who weren't really high on the org chart um, because nobody else wanted to do it, basically. <laughs> and so uh, it's like, yeah, it, it's kind of underappreciated. So it, it just, uh, it's always interesting to me to find out industries where it's just now emerging after all of this time. And especially, you know, an airport, you must have so many different technologies in an airport beyond what you would have in a financial or a business building, don't you? Yes. And um, 
I, I think if you name it, will any airports will have it. Any, a lot of the device devices in the airports have an IP address. Mm-hmm. Um, you can start from those escalators, elevators, the lights, the air conditioning systems, uh, those skyway bridges that connects uh, the 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 terminal to the air the, to the airplane. Uh, name it runway lights. Uh, the the alarm systems, the sensors, um, everything, doors, access doors, Mm -hmm. uh, IP-based cameras, uh, you name it, and down to to the typical devices like printers and computers and laptops and mobile devices. Then remember also, Rebecca, you only see this, you only see these things that that's around there, but you, most people forget that Airports are also sort of internet service providers to the retailers. Those stores oh, you see yeah. around, uh, they're part of the big network. They're just segmented as retail. And um, um, that every airport uh, in the world, uh, there's a, you will find thousands and thousands of devices in their network. And there, of course, most airports today have learned how to do segmentations. Uh, they have learned how to uh, utilize some of the newer technologies, but it, it is a very complex environment with different things. And some airports, Rebecca, are also managing their own police and fire department. So it's part of that network as well. So they have training centers, things that you uh, that you don't typically realize are part of the airport are are attached to the network right so even in large airports they have their own power grid they have their own water supply systems and all of these are all connected into the network um, and don't forget the uh, the flight systems the mm-hmm. uh, yes the towers yes. Uh, yeah and and don't forget the guest network um, guest networks are they should that those are some of them are are managed by the telco companies by themselves but some airports they will they may have it on their own network to provide some services i've flown into small airports and sometimes you know you wonder you see a wi-fi open access uh, for guests and i can bet you most of those are hopefully they're segmented they're connected to the Net the airport network as well. Yeah. So when for a lot of our listeners and Cecil, a lot of my listeners don't really don't really work in IT, but they're interested in these topics. And in fact, I have a lot of high schools and uh, colleges that have their classes lessons. So they're really learning about this too. But when you're talking about segmenting the networks, I think a lot of times. People may kind of have an idea what that is. My first thought that um, I had when you said that is, I wonder if the the airports are putting firewalls around those segments because you can have segments without having firewalls around them. Yeah. Well, uh, a lot of the airports have started putting in uh, not just ACLs, uh, but actual firewalls uh, around their network. Mm-hmm. A lot of this, a lot of the airports today, they've realized that they have to 
manage risk, uh, you know, they have to ensure that controls are addressing those risks in those segments. So in most important or critical segments of the environment, the best practice is to put a, a real firewall there, not just an ACL. Mm, okay. And can you explain to our listeners what you mean by the ACL? Because a lot of folks oh, may not know that. Yeah. You know, in most organizations, they'll just uh, uh, segment their network using VLANs, you know, these virtual <laughs> networks on the same switch. Uh, today, the this, those are, are pretty secure, but they can, they can, you know, someone could get into those networks. So the best practice is really use firewalls where you're not just relying on a list of addresses that you can go and, you know, to, to and from. You, there's also intrusion detection installed. There's uh, threat detection where you can actually stop someone. If they're doing something malicious, a firewall will typically detect that. Where, whereas a typical network device is doing uh, say, you know, uh, VLAN is not exactly designed to do that. Yes. Well, yeah, there's so many additional types of security tools. It sounds like you are probably using within an airport or could use within an airport beyond what people would even think about, uh, especially even long-time security professionals who have, you know, maybe they've worked for a long time in an insurance company or a bank or some other places. And those certainly have complex security and privacy risks. But it's always amazed me with organizations that have physical access to the different parts of the network uh, in ways that you don't typically see in a like a business building that has controlled access up into it. When you told when you were explaining about the stores having being attached to your network, I hadn't even thought about that. I mean, of course, I knew those stores were were attached to networks, but for some reason, I just thought, oh well, those probably have their own networks separate from the airport network, but yeah. but they're really a part of it then. Well, some airports are, uh, they may have their retail connected directly to a service provider. Uh, a lot of airports, they provide internet services to uh, their those retailers. Um, I, I have a really nice story for you, Rebecca, you, yes. if we have time. Mm-hmm. Uh, one one day, I, I we got a call from a three-letter agency that, hey, um, you know, um, there is a uh, possible uh, machine that may be uh, compromised. And of course, when you hear those things, you immediately immediately jump up. And, yes. <laughs> and I, I, I drove. I drove to the airport. Good thing I I live 25 minutes away from the airport. So started looking and started looking. And you know, we have all our tools in place. We're not seeing anything that's malicious. And come to find out, uh, it's one of those retailers. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, because remember that IP space belongs to us. Mm-hmm. And when they see that IP address, and what's interesting, um, that was like, I think, I forgot, it's like 1 a.m. or maybe 2 a.m. And this, the, the retail store is closed. Yeah. And, and what do I do? Do I remove them from the, you know, from the network 
you know, from their network, from directly from the switch. Mm-hmm. I, you know, and it was very, it, it was a very difficult decision because mm-hmm. they, even though it's not my network, it's not my machine, but it could be used to attack something else. And uh, I don't know if that retailer will, you know, the next morning, I'm pretty sure they're going to be upset to know that, hey, uh, why did you disconnect us? And, yeah. And, yeah. And, you know, I, I, I went, I went, you know, I didn't want, I, I didn't want to compromise. You know, I think it's better be safe, you know. So I went yes. and with our, with our network engineers and I was about to plug, unplug that cable from the switch and mm-hmm. um, it on on the label is a for an air, airplane company and and for a commercial airline company and mm-hmm. i said you know this is probably not a good idea so it, <laughs> we did not because and you know it turns out after at you know at eight o'clock after we verified it we just one of the one of our tech, tech you know technical engineers just forgot to r- replace the 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 label of the cable. Oh, and, yeah. <laughs> Ooh, interesting. Well, how about that? So there's somebody was reusing a cable from somewhere else and didn't remove a label, and then that caused a decision to that was related to you know addressing what it sounded like you were saying there was um, un uh, either unauthorized access going on. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was, I forgot the, you know, why we were called, but we were just, hey, this machine could be compromised. We didn't know. Um, yeah. I, I think I know. I'm just probably not allowed to, to mention it. Right. Well, <laughs> so, and I understand. I don't want to have yeah. you say anything, you know, get yeah, you in trouble. Yeah. But that's an excellent, that's an excellent example, though, of, you know, real life situations. And, you know, something, Cecil, I've been wondering about, too, especially with the critical infrastructure. I mean, I've always, one of the things I've frankly been embarrassed by is that I've, I don't know another language. I mean, I know, you know, probably a dozen computer languages. I know no other uh, language uh, to speak with other people. So like my sons, one uh, took four years of Mandarin Chinese and and German and the other took Spanish. But um, I'm thinking in today's world, especially with the critical infrastructure, you have a very diverse um, group of folks who work in all areas of the critical infrastructure, I'm sure in the airports, in energy. And have you found that that's been beneficial uh, for you to be able to communicate? Because you speak uh, multiple languages. Um, yes. So, yeah. Uh, would you think that would be something that, you know, from a security standpoint, that must uh, be a huge benefit? Yes, uh, definitely. I I have been fortunate to work with a lot of uh, pro folks from, you know, from the country where I came from. And I, especially with with all this globalization, we have today, we don't have to hire people, you know, uh, in the same city. Now we can hire people from any parts of the world. And um, fortunately, where I came from, we have an abundance of IT folks. 
who can work remotely and i think it's it's been very helpful actually uh, um in the past few years i've worked in a critical project a very important project where we had to set up an it uh service company uh from my you know from my home country and it was easy because we were able to sort it out identify all the problems i'm pretty sure if we were not speaking my language we can still achieve but mm-hmm. it, was, it it went really smoothly because i was easily i was able to easily convey what we're trying to do and we were able also to uh uh i think we save a lot of time by having me talk to my friends uh you know mm-hmm. talk to my counterparts in that country so it is very helpful yeah, well, I mean, after all, cybersecurity has no country borders, right? When you're online, yeah. you're online with the world, and so that really does help. I know uh, one of my clients I have, and I think he might be listening, Dr. Uh, Jamie. Jamie's his first name. He's my business friend now who I went down and did some work for in Bogota, Colombia, And um, it just really impacted me greatly when I was down there because all of a sudden I realized, you know, besides Jamie, who could speak fluent English, uh, and many of his colleagues uh, who were hosting me, most of the people, other people there did not speak English. And I realized, you know, I, I am really missing out by not being able to communicate with everyone around me about these topics uh, that we need to, you know, discuss, because I think um, that impacts social engineering, it impacts um, other types of, you know, training and awareness. Um, yeah, I, yeah, I really think it's a huge benefit. Uh, yeah, I, I was fortunate to work with a lot of large organizations where we have to set up shops at other countries. Even though I, they, we don't speak, um, um, you know, even though we have different language, but it, just to think of it, we both speak uh, the same. We can speak English very well, mm-hmm. but but English was our second language, and even though we're coming from this different country, different culture, I can tell you, I I I I can easily relate to someone from India, from Latin America. I, I cannot explain it, but mm-hmm. it feels like we could connect quickly. Because, I don't know. There's something I can easily connect to anyone. I have a lot of uh, friends, uh, most of them IT friends from India, and 99% of the time I could really understand them really well. I think probably because in English is our second language, we're mm-hmm. both, you know, for some reason, I... I have no problem understanding them. Um, when I was working for Critical Start, um, we have customers around the world, and um, we have customers in Vietnam. Even though I wasn't from Vietnam, but ninety uh, percent or ninety-five percent of this person, you know, of this per, you know, what he was telling us, I could easily understand and relate. However, some of my colleagues would, I would say, probably fifty percent of the time, they would say. Can you repeat that? We didn't understand. Hey, Cecil, a, a, a couple of times I serve as an interpreter for for them because we were all speaking English, but I could understand him very well. Yeah, well, you empathized with uh, 
probably what, you know, how he was hearing English as a second language, because that's how you were hearing it when you, you know, were, were starting, uh, I would assume, um, from the way you're describing it. So, yeah, I think that would be good. And, and also from a security awareness and training at the airport. Um, and I don't know, maybe, you know, I don't want to, to have incorrect assumptions, but um, I'm assuming that you probably had a pretty diverse workforce at DFW yes. as well. So if you're training the folks there about good security, cybersecurity, data security, that probably helped you too when you were managing that. Because as a, the CISO, you probably did oversee at the airport uh, all the training and awareness that went out, didn't you? Uh, yes, uh, Rebecca, we have a very diverse uh, 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 employee base, even my team there. Um, I, I was very fortunate to work uh, with a lot of folks from other countries who migrated here. And um, we have also developed a lot of training programs uh, for security awareness. Uh, mm-hmm. And what's, what's really interesting, um, no, you probably want a lot of the vendors today. Uh, I couldn't say their name, but a lot of them have developed uh, uh, different languages for their module. So uh, it was very easy. We didn't have to create custom content for them. So when we uh, start using those uh, materials, it was easy because they were available in like 20 or 30 languages. Ah, okay. Yes, that's good. That That's much different than, you know, even probably just 10 or 15 years ago, quite frankly. So at the airport, then, what are some things that uh, you felt you had great impact on at the airport? I mean, you said you went there and and you were looking around. I'm sure that you implemented some uh, some actions. Sometimes it only takes one or two actions to have huge impacts, right? Yeah, Uh, yeah. Well, oh, sorry, Rebecca. No, that's fine. um, Okay, well, um, I think I've done a lot there, and I think the one thing that really stood out was not exactly cybersecurity or data privacy related. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, When I was leaving the airport, and it was a very difficult decision. Uh, I love working there. Mm -hmm. I think I have the best CEO in the world there. Uh, He asked me to stay, and... I told him, I, I, I have to. Uh, I have two kids in college, and I need to get a higher-paying job. And he told me that Cecil, we need you here. And I told him, I did what most Cecils would do at this airport: do the right thing. And I think he was trying to tell me that no one could do this here except you. I, I told mm-hmm. him, I didn't do anything special. I just did my job and I told him it was him who was instrumental. Remember, he's the CEO of the company of the the airport and when I first worked there, he was was listening to me and I didn't didn't have to social engineer him. I didn't have to convince him. I just Mm -hmm. told him the story. I just told him the things that we need to fix. I had an opportunity to report to him at least every six months and he had an open door policy. I had 
I can talk to him anytime. And I basically just shared to him a lot of the challenges we had at the airport and how we could improve it. And I think with his help, I was able to get the support. I was able to get the money to buy all the tools we need to hire the be- the people we we need. And every time there is a town hall meeting, Rebecca, he would talk about cybersecurity. He wow. would call me out. He would call me out in the audience. Where's Cecil here? And he would always. Uh, he would always encourage everyone to follow best practices. He would always tell the consequences of bad security practices. Uh, I was, I can tell That's you, I was so words. fortunate. Yeah, I was so fortunate. And you know what I did? I followed his footsteps. I went to dif- different lunch meetings, brown bag, brown bag lunches uh, meetings. I ha- I, j- I joined uh, team department meetings. I. I've asked for 15 minutes. That's it. I went from office to office to different sessions. I organized my own um, lunch lunch meeting. While we were eating lunches, I I'll talk about best practices. So yeah, I, fo- I I followed his foots. I followed these examples and well, that I told him yeah. Well, I was going to say, we're getting really close to the end. I, I don't want to cut you off, but we're about finished. So maybe what is one key point? We just have a minute left here. But what is a, a key point you want to leave with our listeners from our discussion today? Uh, there's probably so many things, but I, I would say the the most important thing I can share to you, to, to your audience, is I think uh, whenever security is really challenging, and I think if we start on the left side, you know, that, that left mentality shifting from, you know, when you're developing products, when you're hiring people, when you're even on a technical level, the MITRE attack, the attack starts from the left to the right. You always start at the beginning. I think if we start putting security in the beginning, it is yes, it's cheaper easier to implement and and i think part of that is what i'm trying to do at the people level at the you help build the cultural you help build a positive way into the culture where security is part of your day-to-day activity especially in organizations yes that is a very good thing to to leave people with it has to be part of the culture and then you'll have much more secure system and networks Thank you so much for being on my show today, Cecil. I really appreciate it. Um, Today, I've been speaking with cybersecurity and privacy expert and highly experienced business leader, Cecil Pineda, about cybersecurity. And we focused on airport and aviation sector and also what it takes to be successful there. Please send feedback about this show. You can send feedback to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Until our next show, ask those you do business with and work for, hey, are you doing all that you can to uh, secure the information that I've entrusted to you? Make sure that your networks are secure. Be privacy and security aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. (music) 
Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.